Welcome to the Dive into Reiki podcast. I'm Natalie, and together we will enjoy a series of conversations that explore the journey of Reiki practitioners and teachers from all lineages. 100% Reiki-focused stories, 100% human. Hi, divers. Today we have a very special episode. It is also a very visual episode uh, because we have Reiki Master and Calligraphy Master Foke Brink uh, taking us through uh, basically the Reiki Kanji. Uh, so I will advise you at some points on the podcast, if you're listening to it, to check the notes for videos so you can have the visual reference of what Foke is talking about or perhaps even taking uh, the Reiki kanji you may have handy. Uh, but there is also some videos where he actually prepares the brush, does the whole ritual, and does the kanji live, uh, and is very, very beautiful. So just stay tuned for those prompts to check the video in the notes. And if you're watching these on YouTube, in video, obviously no need for that. Uh, Foke Brink is originally from the Netherlands, and he came into contact with Reiki in 1984. So we're really talking about some of the first uh, masters, especially in Europe. And he was initiated as a master in 1987 by Phyllis Leigh Furumoto, uh, who was Mrs. Takata granddaughter and the lineage bearer for the Reiki Alliance until she passed from, I think it's three, four years ago. Uh, Foke had many questions about the Reiki system's background, some things in his head, uh, the way the story was told, like many other masters at the time, uh, didn't completely make sense. So he started the journey to find answers. He traveled to Japan. He met with many masters of different spiritual practice. And this journey gave him a deep understanding of the roots of Reiki and how to use it in everyday life. He studied in Oomoto, Kamioka, Japan. Traditional arts like Aikido, tea ceremony, calligraphy, silk carving, no drama, and pottery. He gained further experience in calligraphy, working with the Zen abbot Edo Tai Shimano Roshi in Daibotsu Mountain Monastery in upstate New York. I will be sharing again, as I mentioned, this beautiful video of uh, doing this sacred painting of the Reiki Kanji and explaining the different uh, meanings of each stroke. If you're listening to this, again, I will give you uh, prompts uh, so you can check it. And I hope you really enjoy uh, Focus' beautiful energy, uh, the joy, his sense of humor. He's just a beautiful human being. So now on with the interview. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of the Dive into Reiki podcast. I have a wonderful guest who was very kind to say yes uh, to being on the podcast today, Focke Brink. And I hope I pronounced that all right. He's originally from the Netherlands, currently lives in Greece. And he's going to talk like so many interesting things uh, that I cannot wait for him to take uh, the word away from me. So we're going to start like every episode uh, just asking you, Foke, about how did you come in contact with Reiki? How did that happen? Well, Natalie, first, thank you for inviting me because it's an honor to be in your podcast. And uh, yeah, how did I? Well, I had a big practice with psychotherapy, hypnosis, and reincarnation in Holland, in the Netherlands. And um, my wife in that time did a workshop astrology. In the evening on Wednesdays, she went with an older lady, on a little kind of island where we lived in Alkmaar. And uh, she went with this woman to the workshop. But this woman was always very uh, shy for people, didn't want to meet, didn't want to contact people. And she was only taking care all her life of her parents. And so one evening she went, my wife went, and I thought, oh, this woman comes and have a coffee with us afterwards. So I made coffee and she came without any questions before and so we were talking, said, what do you do? I told her about my practice and then said, oh, I know somebody in Amsterdam and I call him the magic cat. He does something with cards and he tells you the future and he does something Japanese with his hands. And I got goose pimples. I thought something Japanese with hands, something touched me. I said, well, who is that and what now? Yeah, he, he, learned, he learned it from somebody from Canada a Dutch woman, and she will come for another workshop. He invited her. She said, oh, please give me a telephone number. I want to be in that workshop. 
So I got the telephone number from the organizer and he said, well, I'm sorry, the workshop is full. And I, of course, started already as a good student, like in my whole life. I said, who said so? So <laughs> yeah, the teacher, I said, well, do you have a telephone number of the teacher? Yes, he had. So I telephoned Inger Droog, the master. I said, well, I hear you do something Japanese with your hands and you give a workshop and I want to be in the class. Then it was very silent. She said, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Then you can come. Oh, wow. And uh, she said, by the way, that's called Reiki. I said, I don't care how it's called. I want to do it. <laughs> I kind of love all the meaning there is in that simple sentence, right? Yes. Yeah. And so it really, really got me. So she did a workshop in Holland some months before. She had four students. And this was her first bigger workshop. And later, we had a very nice discussion about it. So why did you hesitate to, to, to accept me in the workshop? She said, well, you were a big test, a big test for me. I said, why? She said, well, my teacher, Wanya Twan, told me that you only get what you need in your life and never more than you can handle. She said, and I thought maximum 10 students I can handle. And you were number 11. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yes. So I started already to challenge my teacher from the first moment. <laughs> but also pushing her to grow, right? That's what I did the rest of my whole life in Reiki, to push teachers on levels, on borders where they normally didn't want to go. And I, I kind of, that's where like you and I have like a big heart in common. I think we need to explore, right? Like, and then respectfully, but we need to explore like how deep can we go into this practice? How far can we take it? So I, I love yes. that spirit. Yes, because sure. for the people who don't know you, you've been practicing for a long time. And you also were some of the first people like, hey, let me go to Japan and find more about this. So can you tell us a little bit about that side? How did you suddenly say like, there is more to this. Let me go to Japan. Well, yes. Before that, my first degree was in 1984. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's about 39 years ago now. And uh, a little detail more about that, because immediately after my first degree, I said, I want to do second degree. And she said, that's fine. Tell it in the universe. Because she didn't uh, intend to come back to the Netherlands. Oh, wow. And then three months later, there were so many students at that time that wanted to have Reiki. She came back and I got my second degree then. So, and then when I got my second degree, I asked my teacher about the symbols. Because we have the mantras or the, 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 the names underneath. I said, yeah. well, what you said that it is, like the universal energy here and now, or uh, this kind of thing. said, is that a real translation of the words? And then they, she had a very good answer. She said, doesn't mind, just do it. So later, when I became master, I heard in the first master meeting in Germany, my teacher asking to Paul Mitchell the same question. And he said, I don't know. At that moment, I realized that nobody knows. Nobody knew it. So we had, in that time, in the start of 90s, no information about anything about it. So I knew I have to find it. And there were other things that happened around. It was very interesting. I don't make it too long. So then I, I had for many years an, uh, an application form in my pocket for the traditional Japanese arts in Kamioka in Japan. And when I got 50, I thought, now is the time to go. So I applied for it, and I was accepted as one of the 14 students in that workshop for the whole month. Wow. And we had 80 masters to teachers wow. in Sensei's. And my personal guidance is now the spiritual leader of Oomoto, wow. where we were. So I came in Japan. And then we went through all the course. And one day we went to the Kurama. 
Then I wrote my name in the uh, museum book in Japanese and with Usui Shikiri Yoho. And I was fascinated there. One hour after I had done this, a Japanese Reiki master came there. And he saw my name. And when I came home, in, in, at the moment in Holland, there was post for me. And I was invited to go to Japan because he was fascinated by somebody from over the big, the, uh, the big lake who came to look for the roots of the Usui system and of Usui Sensei. So he invited me to come. And I knew at that time, I go with the feeling the things that have been lost will be found again. And even if I had to stay the rest of my life there, that intention I had, I go. And so in 1996, I went back to Japan and Maria, my wife, went with me. And I invited Phyllis Lai Furumoto, my teacher in the master degree. And she agreed because she said, well, I am in a moment in my life that I don't know how to go on. And now you offer me this. And we had a relation. She said that you are the one who has to offer me this. That's specific. Oh, so wow. we had also this challenging relation. It was wonderful. And just so she for joined people, us. Sorry, for the people who don't know very much who Phyllis Leifurumoto yeah. is, she's the granddaughter of Mrs. Takata, and she was the lineage bearer for many years until she passed recently. In that lineage, yes. yes. She passed three years, I believe, ago. She passed. And I had a relation with her that um, it was like I asked her questions and challenged her in a way that she said in that time, only three men in the world can do that, but I can live with, but I cannot live with and not without. And oh, I don't know why I had to be one of these three. <laughs> but that's, that's your job, right? Challenging teachers, as you said it. I love it. And challenging yeah, so, why don't uh, we know? I yes. love that. And it was a very interesting position because I, many times I hated it in a way because other people didn't understand at all. Even colleagues who said, you are a fucking bastard. What do you think to ask to speak to Phyllis in this way? I said, well, this is the way that I think about it. And I ask questions. And that, that was our relation. And she almost always... Uh, start fighting, of course, first against it. And later, then she thanked me in the group that she got some insight. It was an interesting relation. And, and also, well, I love I'll that you, from the <laughs> Netherlands, she's from Japanese descent, you take her to Japan. Like, yes. I just find that very, like, you know, at the end also, like, let's drop the barriers and what we think we should do. And like, hey, she got to Japan exactly. to you. And that is, like, yeah. what's really life-changing for her as well. Yes. yes, it was the first time in her life that she went to Japan. And I remember when she came there, she said, ah, oh, at last the country is fit for my size. I can sit on the toilet and have my feet on the ground. <laughs> it's not fit for you, because if you're from Holland, you're probably very tall. <laughs> no, I'm not tall. I'm one meter 72. No, no. I just had two centimeters enough to become a police officer in the past. <laughs> minimum was 170. <laughs> so you get this so, invitation in Japan, and what happened then? Well, when we came, the master who invited me was not there. He didn't know that he would take me from the airport and care for uh, a hotel or whatever. So Marie and I were standing in Kansai Airport. Couldn't read anything, nothing. So then there was a big blonde guy somewhere standing and he saw that we were really don't know what to do and he came he was from herbal life in japan oh god herbal life i remember that <laughs> yes and so he said well okay um yeah well let's uh i can go with you for a while and see if we can find a hotel and he helped us with buying tickets with the, the train from kansai to uh, tokyo so we came in Tokyo and there were all hotels were fully booked because it was shortly for Christmas. 
So the only place that we found was in a hotel where we got discount because we stayed longer than one hour. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I find that that is probably near Okubo, probably. Like, yeah, I stayed in Okubo and I yes. didn't know there were love motels there. Yeah. Yes, we wanted to stay for a month about. So and also booked a room for Phyllis. So, yeah, we were staying in a hotel, and when I went out in the morning to get some uh, bread and, and coffee for Maria, then there were people on the street who called me in with nice pictures from ladies and whatever. And, okay, after two days, he realized that didn't work. <laughs> and a nice bed with um, uh, movements in it and whatever. It was very interesting <laughs> hotel. I, you know what I love is the contrast. We usually put Reiki and we see yoga like and the hair flowing and everything perfect. This is real life. Like, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's just, it's such a lovely contrast. A different kind of love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Japan, it was normal that people went to these hotels because many people lived in old houses with the sliding doors with paper. And when the parents wanted to have love, then they couldn't do that because of the, the thin walls. So they went for one or two hours to an hotel. That was there a bit different than, than in Amsterdam, you could say. <laughs> Actually, I, I I really appreciate you said that because, yeah, culturally we assume something and it turned up since being something different, right? It was actually love. Yes, and it was it was very interesting. So... And we, uh, because I, I brought my seal book where I have my seals, I carved the master seals. I had a lot of entrances in places where normally other Western people wouldn't be allowed. We, we were invited by the carpenter who made a little Buddha on a special square, which was very famous. I don't remember the name, but Millions of people came there to touch this statue. It had some appearance, it was, and there were only, I believe, one of this was made. And after it was kissed so many times, they had to, to make a new one. And this artist who made that invited us in his uh, pottery and his workshop place. Uh, many of this, many of these meetings we had because they saw with the seals I carved, that I'm not just a tourist. And that was were, were big openings for moments to go somewhere to deepen my feeling about what I thought Reiki was. Because, you know, we, we hear the word Reiki, we have our concept, universal life energy. Well, but what does it really say? What, what is really the, the energy of it? We have words and an universal life energy, which I understood from the scholars, was introduced from the West into Japan. So they see it differently. The kanji of Reiki, as you see uh, so behind me, it, is, it has a total different meaning in a way. And it has many, many meanings. Because every line in it tells something. And then they are combined, and in the combination, they have a concept. And this concept we can explain with one line, but that is not what is the Japanese culture or the Chinese culture where the country first came from. So there is something in it, not only in the country, but also in our Reiki symbols. So they all have a deep a depth that often is not understood. And I can explain you more about that if you are interested in it. I would love to. I would love uh, to. Because I started to get some information of the kanjis and it's really helpful. The more we understand the depth and the complexity of the kanji and the many layers, the more we start opening up that this practice is more than we can just... You know, yeah. there's more to it. So, yeah, so when, when I was in Japan, and then later the master I met, uh, Masahiro, and I met other masters in Japan. So there, were, uh, there was an invitation. If I could explain masters in Japan, 
about what we in the West, in the lineage of Phyllis Furumoto, do. I said, okay. So I went to a dojo, sitting on our knees, eight masters around, uh, Aikido masters, Qigong masters, Tai Chi masters, uh, Heaven. Uh, Bushio masters. They were all monks. They were all people, not just Reiki master, what we would say. And so what I did, <laughs> I brought my little brush. I have a refill brush like they have in Japan to write. Yeah, cards. I have a couple of those. Yeah. Yes. Yes, from Pentel. And uh, I said to my wife, to Maria, I said, well, I explained them what I explained in the workshop about the kanji and about the symbols. And then she said, are you crazy? I said, why? She said, these are Japanese people. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I have the feeling I want to do that. So I was sitting on my knees with a with a group of Japanese masters and share them about their language. And it was as if I was carrying a bucket of water to the ocean to make it wet, knowing that there is uh, underneath, or there is a rimpling on the ocean, and underneath is water. Yes. Like this energy, I was there, like knowing nothing in a way, telling them about their language. Then when I was finished, I was very silent. And then the translator said, Fokker, you know, basically what you said, we know. But we never knew that there was such a depth in our language, and we have to think very deeply about it. And I believe I had the feeling that that was the biggest compliment about the way I share about the symbols and the kanji in my symbol workshops in the world and in my teachings. So I was very happy with that moment that I had the courage to do that. And this is one of the moments of having the power to go deeper, to dive into Reiki, as your podcast says. Yes. It's not just the, the surface, it's not just the image. I mean, I just saw a beautiful little video, people whirling, the dancing. Well, if you don't leave the whole religion, it is just a symptom what you do. So, and, and if you start with Reiki, in my feeling, then it is a life way. It is a, it is a, a way of life. It is a life path to go deeper and not just something to do. And, you know, when I had a talk with Phyllis Furumoto that we want both together to go to the teachings of the Amitabha Buddha, or the Buddha of healing, healing Buddha, and have an initiation. And then we decide not to go. Why not? Because we had the feeling if you take one step on a path in another discipline, you only can do that 100% when you are willing to follow it to the end. Yes. We didn't want to become monks in the discipline of the of the, Amid, of the, the medicine Buddha. So why should I take the first step if I am not willing to dive into the depths of the whole lineage? So that was my feeling with Reiki altogether, going to Japan, doing it, it, it's at the moment that I doubt, that I have a feeling from, does it exist? What bullshit do I telling in any way? I mean, I tell this, I tell that, how did that, it's impossible. And then I can go to another place, to another discipline, but I can also stay and think, but there is something. What I miss maybe, and in Reiki, when I see, that it is in discipline worldwide. Maybe 10 million of people practice it nowadays without any advertisement like Nestle or Coca-Cola or Mars or whatever. There is something that carries that energy. So why should I not sit, wait, and see what comes, uh, what comes next after my doubt? And this has brought me to many times to places very deeply that I said, yeah, there is much more than I before thought. Yeah. 
And so that is also there. Oh, which side is that? It's opposite. Here in the kanji. We can show a little bit about it. I you have a little video. And this is a video I made for the Portuguese uh, Reiki community. So I stand up and I go to the other side of the room where there is incense. And there I take my brush and purify it first, which I learned in Daibuzatsu Mountain Monastery from my teacher Edo Taishimano Roshi. He is a famous calligraph and he taught me that I was not allowed to take my brush after I have sitten one hour minimum in Caesar in the temple and meditate. Wow. Then I was allowed to take my brush. Then I honored my brush by purifying it. And before you start, I start calligraph, I lift up my brush. And that is that I, I honor my brush, bring it in connection with the universe. And I realize that I cannot create an image of a goddess of a goddess energy. Reiki in Japan, this image is cons considered to be a god energy. Wow. So the the universe works through my brush to manifest itself. So when people ask me often what I do, I said I am a brush in the hand of the universe. And I'm following the, the, the traces of ink. And that is basically what, what I feel that it is. So I'm not a master calligraph. I'm using the brush and following the, the ink in the symbols and to feel the energy of the culture and the universe in this. I can explain later every line after we have seen how that is made. This point, I will encourage you to watch the first video in the podcast notes in which Fonke draws the Reiki Kanji in two different styles. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, it was just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you saw I made twice. Yes. In a little bit different way. So the first is that I just make it flowing fast or just like feeling. The second one was the way that I used to start for students to learn it first, to teach. So it's a bit more structured in a way. It, this is what you see behind me is more with energy to flow. It's more like water. Yeah, no, it, yes. it was funny. It was the first one was feeling the second one. I was like, oh, these are like, and I could see like the horizontal and vertical lines and all of that. Yes. And also it was a little bit square, more square. Like there was less, it was more earthy in a way, right? Yeah, it, it's 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 more strict. So what, what the first, what you see, this one, oops, is, well, my teacher, Edo Taishimano Roshi said, what we do is not calligraphy, it's sacred painting. So calligraphy, the traditional calligraphy is strict, exactly. And to be honest, it is a famous way to do, and it is very fascinating and, and very difficult. And after 10 minutes looking at it, to me, it's boring. Because it is, it's, it's, it's not a life for my feeling. This, what you see behind me, there is dynamic, there is air in it, there is, there is energy in it, there is... It, it is a life in a different way. So it's called to me sacred painting. And if you allow me, I will explain. So in short, the lines for your beautiful viewers. Absolutely. Let me just insert one thing that really, like I saw when you were doing it, and I think it's so useful for Reiki practitioners. You were not using your fingers. You were using your whole mind, body, everything. As you said, you were so whenever we draw things in Reiki, it should be this sacred painting versus chess. So it just it was so beautiful to say to see that unity, that oneness flowing together. And now I'll let you explain everything, but I just wanted to say that that was it was really beautiful to watch. Thank you. Thank you for well, it is the same with Reiki. Yes. You can sit 
You can put your hands or you can sit and touch. At this point, it may be a good idea to watch the second video on the podcast notes. It's the same explanation, but you can see Foke pointing at the different strokes in the Reiki Kanji. Good. So here you saw the calligraphy or the lines go always from left to right here, and from top to bottom. That is the traditional way of moving, because when you do it fast, and it goes faster, then it gets the hirikana, the katakana in Japan. And then you, you need the order of the lines. You cannot just make them in another direction, in other order, because then it doesn't fit anymore. So here is the heaven or one. One is all and all is one. So and this is here, the symbol of heaven. Oh, wow. And underneath the heaven are the clouds. So what happens when you have clouds in the heaven? They take away your view to the heaven. Oh. But, wait a moment, can I, I put it a little bit more here. So, <clears throat> when you have the clouds, you can see them as a hindrance. Mm -hmm. It blocks your view. But without the clouds, you cannot understand and feel the depths of heaven. So this everybody's own choice. How do you see your clouds in life as a hindrance or as a support to go on and to learn and to look behind it? Wow. So heaven and the clouds. And out of the clouds, through the heaven, is coming the rain. Yes. This first part is the character of rain. Rain is water. Water is the main source of life. We all started in water, in the womb of our mother, and we all exist out of 80% or maybe more of water. So when there is no water, there is no life. Underneath the, the, the main source of life, you see these little squares. One is a mouth. So one mouth is to speak. When you have two mouths together, it's a discussion. Blah, 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 they speak together. Oh. When you have three mouths, it's more than discussion. It means praying. So wow. here is praying for the main source of life. So between heaven and earth, who were praying? for the connection between heaven and earth. So heaven and the people here are praying to connect heaven and earth. Wow. And this character, heaven and earth, is the character from construction, work. Has many meanings, also right and other things, but here is the meaning of work. So this is the work from people between heaven and earth. Wow. And who were that in the past, who were praying for the rain to come? The people here, the shamans, for instance, the medicine man. Okay. The people who connected heaven and earth by the praying that the rain would come to fertilize the earth. So this is also the character of magic. Oh, wow. I see the connection with that, that it is something we do not understand directly with our brain. Neither we do praying understanding. So this is the, the spiritual concept of connecting heaven and earth by praying for the main source of life. So when you put these three together as one, then it is the meaning of transcendent power, spirit of a being, soul. Wow. So many people in Japan will not speak about it. Because when somebody asked them, what is that? They said, you don't speak about it. That has to do with our ancestors on the other side. They interpret it as a spirit, as a ghost, as the spirit of 
their family who is deceased, who is on the other side. Oh, that's why it can be so, translated as ancestral energy then. Like some people translate Reiki as yes. ancestral energy. Okay, got it. But it is not, but it depends out of what direction you would like to interpret it. Of course. I will speak a little bit about that later. So then there is a space, and then here is vapor. And vapor means also breath, breathing, oh. vapor. So underneath the vapor is rice. So what happens when rice comes in contact with vapor? It cooks. It cooks, and when it is in the earth, the rice and vapor, it starts growing, it shows us the wind, and then it is harvest, and then it is in vapor, and then it gives us food. So when I studied in Omoto, uh, breakfast, we got rice. At lunch, we got rice. What do you think we got a supper? Rice. When I was in Japan at the monastery, I ate rice three times a day. And in the so afternoon, I could have rice if I wanted to. Yes. Yes. So they know from rice you get your power. So that is key. Or in, Jap in Chinese, qi. Yes. So there are 40 different kinds of characters of qi. Oh, wow. So this is living qi. Like in Aikido, Kiyatsu, Tai Chi, Qigong, they all have this character of Qi. But there are many others. And this in Chinese is Ling, and in Japanese, Rei. Okay. So together, if you realize this is Rei, the spirit, the universal spirit, in connection with our power. So when you really believe that and feel that, everything is possible. Yeah, and it's heaven and earth, body and mind, like that unity of everything is beautiful. We can we can in, in, uh, incorporate a lot of thoughts that we have, a lot of concepts, but not to put other meanings or concepts in it, just to realize I am in harmony with the universe, without explanations more. Just feel it. Reiki. I had that experience when I was driving with my Hillmobile at that time. I had an 11-meter mobile home with big Reiki symbols on it. And Marie and I lived in the world with that. And we were driving on the highway in Germany. And suddenly, empty highway, beautiful clouds, blue sky behind it, and we both were just sitting there in the car driving with that's rain. The clouds, the sky. And at the moment we realized that it was like praying. And we connected heaven and earth. And at that moment, the whole earth was Rei, was, was Ki. So you can live Reiki everywhere in the world, any moment. When you look around, you realize what is there. And then every word is in vain, it's too much. It's that, that, that deep understanding. Maybe what you mean with dive into Reiki. It's not speaking, diving into it like free in the water of the ocean. I, I, I love that. And <clears throat> we have that discussion when we got to know each other the first time we talked about, <clears throat> obviously, when it comes to Reiki sessions, hands off, hands off, Reiki on, Reiki off has a little bit of a sense. But it's also, it's easier to explain as beginner, but it can also limit our perception of what a practice could be, Right. Because the practice, we can live a Reiki practice 24-7. We can be in contact with that energy 24-7 uh, if we just are like in this state of mind. So I want you to talk a little bit about that. Like, you know, are there limits to a Reiki practice? Or as you were saying, like, can we live every day this practice? 
Yeah, well, when I was uh, a member of a uh, Reiki community, the Reiki Alliance, which in my time were only masters from Hawaii Takata, the grandmother of Phyllis and the uh, masters of Phyllis. And in the Reiki Alliance, one, one master, um, Helen Haberly, she once wrote a letter to us. To all the masters, I think it was start of the 90s. And the last let the last sentence in it, I never forget. She wrote, please let we all stop doing Reiki. Let we become it. Beautiful. That really is my feeling of it. Reiki is not something we do, Reiki is something we are. Reiki. If I have to say I do Reiki, then I'm missing just touching. What is Reiki? And somebody said, but how can I do that? In my, I'm a manager in a company. I said, well, somebody has said, put your arm around. You don't have to say I do Reiki. You are Reiki. And the more you are, the less you have to do it. Because everything you do is the reflection of what we call Reiki. Yeah. And, and we say Reiki is everywhere, always. Yeah. So then, what do I have to do then to do if I am? It is a, somewhere a paradox, and it is the, the reality. Yeah. When I sat, I, I, have, I, did, I did a lot of teaching in Moscow and in Russia. 30 years I brought Reiki to Russia. So when I was sitting in the metro, people around me, and then when I looked at them, and they smiled for a moment, that was practicing Reiki. Or a woman in the airplane who was totally upset and whatever, suddenly put her head on my shoulders, start telling her whole life story. That's Reiki. Reiki is being 100% what we were when we were born. So everything I do consciously is, is mind stuff in a way. And we need it to reach that other. So it's the same with the Reiki symbols. The Reiki symbols actually as images, they, they have no meaning. They don't do anything. They do something because I understand something. And when I understand something, and when I, I incorporate that in my life, then I don't need that form. If I need a form to remind me. Yes. So, and I, I, I know I got a woman who wanted to do second degree because her daughter was in prison. And she wanted to be in contact with her. I said, the moment you speak with me, you see your daughter in prison. Do you need a symbol for that? No. Hold your hands and see your, your, your daughter in prison. And it, and it works. It is there. So I, I, I remember when I started with, with second degree, I sending a rainbow out of my heart over the skyline. And I had, I had all kinds, but I needed that period to realize that I don't need it. And, and it is, the more you do it, the less you have to, to, to think about that. And without doing it, you cannot reach that moment of doing it, of being it. So it is the paradox that we have to do a lot to learn that we don't have to do it. And still it works. I, I think you put it fantastically. I was like in a class yesterday and I was telling someone like, you cannot let go of the symbol until you become the symbol. Like, like you need to practice. It's not like, oh, if, it, if you, I don't need it, I don't need it. No, you need it. You need to practice with it. And then you can let it go. Then it's a little like painting, right? You learn how to paint well and then you become Picasso. Like, you know, yeah. like then you can deconstruct and express not before because that means you're not really, you no. don't know very much what you're doing. So, 
And also letting off the ego, if you have a crazy day, and I think you say something very important when we go to a company, when we work, sometimes it's difficult to go into that space of the symbol. You have mm-hmm. it. Don't, don't, so most of the time you may not need it, but there are moments where people are screaming and you have that little anchor, like poof, you go back there, right? So letting go of the ego, like I haven't used a symbol for three years. What do you mean I'm going to use it? Yeah, you need it today, right? Be a little bit more kind to yourself. Like it's a beautiful thing. And another thing I love what you said, right? The symbol by itself has no power. Yeah. No. It's, I mean, that is the way with, with people that we, well, I hate it when I see symbols in internet. I see them in books and, and even people uh, quote me in some books about the symbols. And I don't like that at all because it is a private, sacred spiritual way to develop yourself deeper and deeper. And okay, I mean, there are symbols that they exist out of five just Japanese words. But we are not talking about language here. We are talking about the spiritual discipline. So a little story. I was in Poland, in uh, in Warsaw, and there was a monk from the Namum Yohorenge Kyo, the Lotus Sutra Order. Kijima. And well, there was a whole system situation. He was there to build a peace pagoda in the concentration camp. Wow. One night he didn't come home, and people robbed his money and his sacred drum and kicked him in his face. And he was brought with an ambulance back to the place where I was. So it was for me a very beautiful way to do Reiki again really physically and uh, he said well now i know what the people in the concentration camps have went through by this experience and we were many times there together and he helped me to find a lot of parts of out of his philosophy of buddhism in the symbols and with several parts, he said, Fokker, listen, in the language, it means this. But if you study the world of the words of Ray, it means something else. Like a cross for a carpenter who made that in wood is different than a cross in the church with a priest. Because you are in a different language. And that is the same with the Reiki kanji. You can see it as language. You can see it as a beautiful image. And you can see it as a part of a spiritual lineage or a spiritual discipline in which it has a special concept. It it is surrounded by, embedded in, in, in something else than just language. And I found that a very interesting statement. In the language, it means this. When you study the world of Ray, it means something else. And that's something that may keep evolving as well, right? As you, you, it may keep evolving that something else may always keep evolving and going deeper and deeper. Yes, yes, sure. I mean, the word, but my teacher, uh, is now more than I think 15 years ago told me this part he said go home when I was in New York State in the monastery he said when you go home study and practice it for three years and everything, so find, <laughs> everything you find will belong to it and this is more than 15 years ago now, I think. And I still am not finished. What is my work between heaven and earth as a person? And so you always can go deeper with the three mouses of praying. What is praying to you? Maybe you don't call it praying anymore. Maybe it's your meditation. Maybe your religion is nature. You don't need a God or something outside. Maybe your religion is the way you look. So 
what does it mean to the, the main source of life? What is my main source of life? And, and so I believe that if you are open for that path to go in the depths, to dive into, you can go so deep. It's, it's immeasurable. It's endless. It's like That's, a vortex. It's, you have no idea how much I'm enjoying this chat, okay? Like, already enjoyed the first time we met, but it's really beautiful. I'm so grateful you're sharing all of this. So when, we're you say, when you say that, my ego and I are very pleased. I know it. So I'm just a little joke about the ego because I was, so someone impersonated my Instagram, right? And they've been emailing everybody about being a Reiki 5, which kind of make me laugh. And also, but offering psychic uh, readings because the spirits tell them that didn't make me laugh because it's like the opposite of what I stand for. But so then I was like writing a letter. I'm like, okay, so I spent years building a self on Instagram about dropping the self. And now someone stole that self. And it was like, it was kind of funny. So talking about I mean, ego self, it was kind of funny. Drop, why would you drop self? Why are we fighting ego? I mean, yeah. I don't fight my ego. It's... I, I, my, everybody has an ego. Everybody has a self. Yeah. I mean, otherwise... You're able to drop it sometimes. It's kind of nice. It's a nice feeling, right? But I was like laughing because it's all about ego and self and like it was stolen away. I'm like, I drop it when I want. Don't take myself. Don't take my ego without my permission. <laughs> like... no, well, I, I have a different philosophy for myself. I don't fight my ego. I am best friends with it. So that is what, a happens, good, yeah. what happens when you fight with somebody? He never does what you want. No, resistance. I'm good friends and my ego start to be stupid and to be dominant. They said, hey, guys, stop it. Come on. Hey, we go on the other side and we have a beer or we have a coffee. In Greek, of course, and Uzo. But, you know, you can then, with your ego... You have to realize it, and you have to discuss it. Say, hey, hey, hey stop! Uh, you go too far now. Go get so I don't it. I am good friends with it. Yeah, no, no, but it's, there is a moment where you're meditating, you're dropping the self. So I was talking more okay. about that. Yeah, you know, it's but it's funny how we're talking about identities, and when they steal your identity on Instagram, it's just strange, right? But yeah, I still am. You are more advanced with friends with my ego. We are. We went from being enemies to being frenemies. We're friends most of the time, but some days we don't get along. So give me another 10 years and we'll be friends all the time. At least I'm like in the middle way. It's, but it's a lot of fun, like actually making friends and realizing how much you fight. It was actually quite interesting drama going on, like inside. It's like, wow, look at you. Uh, but it's, it's... I have to say, well, I have done a lot with psychotherapy and hypnosis and reincarnation and so and so many people want to fight the, 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 they said it's like a wall. So what can we do? If there is a big wall and you cannot get through it, what happens when you turn around? You hit your yeah. wall. What happens when you turn around and sit against it? It's very solid. And you look on the other side. Oh, that's a beautiful image. Yes. And if you have people are fighting, it's like, like ice. I said, well... You can walk again, air, ice, and when you embrace it, it melts. Oh, that those are amazing images. I really appreciate you sharing that. No, I mean, because it's... I think we try to disappear the wall, right? Like that, we try to disappear the wall. I never imagined actually using my ego for support. Like that is a beautiful yeah. shift. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it will always be there, right? That's like if not, you cannot survive in society. like it's part of. So I think the image of leaning against it as a wall and look the other way and seeing that horizon open yeah. and supported. It's I'm, wonderful. I'm, I'm stealing that. <laughs> okay, you're, well, you're welcome. The same is, you know, people said you have to, to release that, to let go. Well, what, what happens? I have this glass. Said, let go of it. Well, I sit and let go. You know what happens? No. Right. They offer me something else. I automatically let go and I take the other thing. Yes. So why should I force myself to 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 put something away that 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 I hold when I see something that I like better? 
I automatically let go of it. So there is something in, in reframing our concepts. Of course, you can do that with, with NLP, you can do that with other situations, you can do that with, with uh, well, many things, focusing and so on. For me, breaking has been that, and also talking to wonderful practitioners who have more experience than me has also helped, like, you know, helped a lot with that. So I'm a little bit like you. I'm like, if I get other practices, I get confused. I'm like, so for me, like focusing on Reiki and bringing everything else experience into my Reiki understanding has been a big gift. So I finish every interview with the same question and is what I call in American English an oops. And those things that perhaps we believe at the beginning that then we realize we're not that always true. Sometimes a funny story that ended up like one you used to teach your students. Uh, something to share with the community that made you smile along your Reiki journey. Oh, so <laughs> oh my God, what do I tell? Hmm. <laughs> I saw that, I see that question. Well, um, I think a nice story is about that we all believe that uh, I, I will a little bit <laughs> stretch the masters who are listening. Go ahead. So, yes, well, I did a lot of teaching in Arkhangels, that's above the north, uh, the polar circle in Russia. And one, I initiated one master there. And she went, she also was an artist, with artists working. And so one, uh, one family with artists, they were like asocial. The, the mother was almost naked with dirty clothes on the, on the couch. The pigs were running in the, in the house with the chickens. The children were in, 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 in their own shit in the room. And the men were, were drunk in the sun. And so that was really... Very bad situation. And she went away for three months, I believe, to Norway to marry the ex-foreign minister. So <clears throat> after she returned, these people looked beautifully. Clean house, men sober, kids nicely dressed. And then she said, what happened? She said, well, we found Reiki. Wow. And then Natasha was, of course, really happy with that. And she said, and who came here to initiate you? She said, what do you mean, initiate? She said, but how, who gave you Reiki then? She said, we got a book and we do it. And that was a story which was a oops to think about. Yes. So... And then she said, do I tell them they don't have Reiki? So what is it that we get and what is what we do? And how can we get Reiki? It is something to think about. And for me, it was a very intriguing situation. It's, it's, I think it's a great question and to put out there because obviously at the end, the Reiki system, but as you said, this energy is there for all of us, right? Like, and obviously, we want people to initiate it to make their life easier to have, like, and to have a system so they can practice. But we cannot tell people they're not Reiki when they are born. And and I know also you don't want a bunch of crazy people doing Reiki out there that don't even know what they're doing and are saying crazy things, like my impersonators selling weird things. Yeah. But I think it's something. I think interesting for all of us to reflect right yes and when we say one thing and then why don't we believe it ourselves if reiki is everywhere in everything always what does it really mean then what what is it so then the reiki is here and now in everything so then we get of course whole discussions about channels which i don't mention anyway anymore because it's so there is there is something that we say 
But if we really think what we say, what does it mean? Reiki is everywhere, every in everything, and every person has it. And then we get stories, it's blocked, and the master can, can de-block it, and whatever, yeah, whatever. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of students who got an initiation and do nothing with it, or the other way around. So it's very interesting at the end, when you really want to dive deep into Reiki, not in the system. But what means the energy of Reiki when we really say this? I love oops. I this is this oops is beyond. Uh, and I think just to like for me when you say like the energy of Reiki versus the system, right? Also being very clear, but the, I'm not gonna add to your oops because this is the perfect end to the interview. I'm not gonna mess up with perfection, so I'm leaving it there. Thank you so much. It's been a beautiful, beautiful interview. I learned a lot. Uh, it's And I love these factor layers. Like I knew a little bit about the Reiki Kanji and I realized I knew probably 0.5%. And I learned so much from you, but also I love your joy. I love your being grounded and so fun to talk to as well, right? But also deep and really true to what you practice. So I really, really appreciate this interview. Thank you. I'm open. If you want to have more, then just let me know. Be careful. Be warned. Be warned. I'm going to shop in Greece. Like I'm being dying to go to Greece. <laughs> it's worse than being like, pick, pick, like the, when you were lost in Japan, like, hi. <laughs> no problem. The dog will, mention, the dog will uh, tell that you are coming. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you for listening to the Dive Into Reiki podcast. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at diveintoreiki.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, or just share it with your friends. It makes all the difference. Thank you. Gracias. Merci. 